Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to In Absentia by Porcupine Tree. Thank you all for tuning in here on Prog Notes. What we do here is educate and hopefully inspire people to uncover and learn about this subgenre by listening and talking about albums from the Progressive Rock archives. We both have a massive passion for progressive rock and we love to share it with others. For everyone who has been listening to all of our episodes, we first want to say thank you so much. And please subscribe so you can always be notified when we launch a new episode. The big one, two, Drew. Episode 12. I can't believe we've done 12 episodes, dude. I know. It's pretty crazy. It's absolutely. This is, this is going to be a, a, a crazy, crazy episode. Uh, it's going to be nutty. Episode. It's going to be I nutty. It's, dude, that's going to be some, like, that's, like, nuts. And then, the, the, like, that's one tier. Above the tier of nuts is nutty. That's true. That's what this is going to be. That's true. This is going to be said nuttiness. Gosh. All right. So. Yeah. In Absentia is the seventh studio album by Porcupine Tree, released September 24th, 2002. Uh, we're kind of, since our last episode, uh, Ladder Alice by Tool, um, we're kind of sticking around that 2002 era. So, um, but let's talk a little bit. I'll kind of talk about history of Porcupine Tree before we start going into the music a little bit, Drew, if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, Porcupine Tree, Porcupine Tree, Porcupine Tree. <laughs> That's unreal. I told you it was going to be nutty. All right. All right, here we go. (laughs) So Porcupine Tree was formed in 1987 by Stephen Wilson that began first as a solo project. Um, So, But in 1993, Stephen decided to work in a more band environment and added keyboardist Richard Barbieri, bassist Colin Edwin, and drummer Chris Maitland to the lineup. Porcupine Tree was hailed as the Pink Floyd of the 90s before entering their sessions of In Absentia. They were more of a psychedelic experimental rock band coming up to this album. So this album was the first record to include their new drummer, Gavin Harrison. This album was also the turning point to their harder, more progressive rock sound that was also the first album to feature Porcupine Tree's long-term artist, photographer, and filmmaker. I believe I'm pronouncing this right, but he's, uh, I think he's Danish. Lasse Hoyle, um, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, bringing more visuals to their live shows. So this was a uh, a, a big jump, a different level of artistic uh, quality in their visuals and their live shows as well as their music. So, and finally, the album has sold over 100,000 copies worldwide, which was stated to be over three times as much as any of their prior albums at point at uh, or out. Al- prior albums at that point of course so so drew first impressions of this album yeah i guess what we do you should think, pr- probably we should g- probably give some pretext here and say that i that this is like destin's band more than mine oh like absolutely he, you you listened to them in high school and i just didn't i yeah i just well, I, st- I still listen to them um oh do you oh absolutely oh, okay, oh, okay. Shoot. wow anyways uh so i i had not really heard a full uh, Porcupine Tree album end to end until this, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It was one of those that I had to listen to several times, and uh, really appreciate it. The more I listened to it, and looking into kind of the concept of the album, which we'll discuss later, uh, I was I was intrigued even more. And there's there's a lot of artistry behind this. And, yeah. and Stephen Wilson, I did I did know before going in that Stephen Wilson was kind of the brain behind most of Porcupine Tree's stuff. Right. That he had started it, and he was not only the front man, but he was 
you know, the primary lyricist. I think I did know that. Um, but, uh, he's a bright guy, very artistic guy too. Uh, yeah. and there's, there's some heavy moments in here. It's very nuanced too, with a lot of it too. It's, it's, there's a lot of dynamics in this, this album and a lot of different, uh, sounds they experiment with. Yes. And, and they create, uh, really elegant atmospheres, very elegant atmospheres. So to that point that you said earlier that people had called them the Pink Floyd of the nineties, I get that. I totally get that. I understand yeah. why they were told that way. Even in this, which again, you also said that this album was kind of the turning point for them into a more heavier sound. Yes. Uh, even with but it, that, it wasn't a 180 though. No, it wasn't. Even with that, I still hear a lot of Pink Floyd in this when yes. I listen to it. Absolutely. And, I agree. Uh, anyways, to, to, in short, I, I liked this album uh, a lot. This, yeah. this was a very interesting new group to find or new album to listen to for me. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think, I think for me as well, because I, I found Porcupine Tree and Porcupine Tree is probably in my top five favorite bands of all time. Um, so I'm a little bit biased towards this episode. So we'll have two different perspectives. One being an avid Porcupine Tree fan for a long time. And Drew being this is the first album he's ever heard by them and has only been listening to it for like, what, two weeks now or something? Yeah, yeah. Something like that, yeah. So it's, we'll have two different two different uh, vantage points there, which is pretty interesting. Um, but yes, yeah, that my, my perspective of this is going to be a little bit different. But I remember when I found Porcupine Tree... Um, back in i think i was in 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 high school uh and and honestly the biggest draw that got me into it was the drummer gavin and um and i think the first song that i heard by porcupine tree was a song called the sound of music which uh for a lot of people in the i guess progressive rock community that that is that is a pretty big song um i think a lot of people know that song it's kind of their commercial "Quote unquote prog rock commercial success, I guess, but it also kind of set this set the bar for Gavin a little bit um, as well of just, of just being a drummer, and so, but uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting that you uh, enjoyed this, Drew. Did you go into the listening to this record thinking it was going to be metal or thinking it was going to be progressive metal or like what what was what were you expecting? I guess before before listening to the record." my expectation was actually less metal based on what you had told me about them. You set them up to be, cause I, I, cause I knew you had talked about them in high school. Yeah. Um, and my recollection of your experience with them and your interpretation of them was they are Steven Wilson. And this band is the face of true modern progressive rock. Yes. That's the phrase that came to my mind when I whenever I thought of Porcupine Tree. So I actually thought it was going to be a little less metal because you and I discussed in high school and still maintain this belief today that a lot of progressive rock music today most of it is really progressive metal. What people say progressive rock like what it turned into was like Dream Theater and Tool which we reviewed on our last yeah. episode. Very rough very high energy lots yeah. of distortion on the guitar pretty, all pretty of dark too dark in yeah. terms of lyrical concepts and and dark which is i mean it, it was it was like what's the word i'm thinking of like obviously dark you know what i mean 
Right, right. Yeah, Maybe that, even overtly dark. Yes, exactly. Um, but so so I was actually expecting this because I, I, I thought you thought this was much truer to the origins of prog rock, to the early pioneers oh, really? that we've already discussed okay. a lot. And so when I went into this album, I didn't expect it to be as heavy as it was. Hmm. Uh, still really enjoyed it, though, um, because I... I, I I need to hear more of them and other modern progressive rock bands before I make that same judgment call that that you have made of this is true modern progressive rock. True in the sense that it is its own thing, but is uh, very reminiscent or you can hear the influence of the pioneers of it, of Rush, of Genesis, of Pink Floyd, of, of Yes. Uh, but I don't think just hearing it uh, – I wouldn't totally discount what you say already just based mm -hmm. on my limited experience with this and the other modern progressive pro progressive rock that I've heard. I would say that that's, that's a fairly good call to make uh, at this point. But, but yeah. I, I, again, I, I need to hear more and I need by them and by others, other prog modern prog rock bands. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting that we're staying on this kick of the early two thousands to kind of discuss because that's more modern than obviously the pioneers back in the of 20th course. century, oh, yeah. right? I mean, it's totally, totally now different. We're, now we're in the 21st century. We have a lot of different technology. We have a lot of different genres that have come since then. In the 90s, we had grunge, and in the late 80s and 90s as well, we also had rap and hip hop evolving, and that has made its way into the fold of, of very popular music in the West. Yeah, uh, along with a variety of other things. I'm just thinking of the, the big. Oh ones yeah. The well, 90s. I mean, the whole point of digitally recording music. Right. Yeah. And just, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. Your approach think, to, think, to recording. Yeah, exactly. Things are moving more towards computers now rather than sticking right. around on tape. Now I, I can't, I can't tell you if they recorded this album on tape or, you know, in pro tools or whatever, right. um, or in a computer, but I, you know, I, I don't know that, but just that's around at this time, you know, it's starting to become a little bit more popular. And, um, and it was interesting too, because, you know, even, even when it came to this, when this, this record, you know, most of the stuff, even before Gavin came on, like all of the stuff like programming was was being used, you know, and so right. like things were getting programmed a lot more. And um, there's just a lot more technology. You're right. There's a lot more uh, uh, variety of what we could use and what we could bring in that can that can help us write this album or write this music or whatever. Well, this is this is really where we get into the present of the past, present and future of progressive rock and also yeah. the future. Uh, I think uh, a yeah. lot is because this, because the present is kind of, uh, you know, foreshadows what the future will be and, and everything, obviously. Right. So it's, so I think th it's interesting that we're, we're reviewing these, these modern bands. Um, but uh, I will say this, this is just, uh, I'm going to read something I, I, I wrote when I was listening to this album and thinking, okay, is it really progressive rock? And, and my thoughts on that. It's, it's very quick. But when I, when I was listening to this, I said, they're like Tool in the sense that they use odd time signatures and fast playing. And that's where a lot of popular prog is today. But Porcupine Tree maintains a more diverse approach to prog, making it sound more like the pioneers while still exhibiting quite a unique flavor that is true to itself. Yeah. And um, I, I, was, I was very struck with just how unique this this was and the more you listen to it the more you you find out how unique it is and uh like i said i mean this morning i was kind of looking more into the concept of the album uh which again we're gonna get to in just a bit but i i was when i read that i was oh my 
this is so neat. I want to like, oh my gosh, these songs have so much more meaning now. And, and that and that happens a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason we do the show, right? I, I you know, I, I know some people have actually told me they're just kind of like, you know, like I didn't really care about Rush, but like 2112, that's such a cool story. I was so intrigued by that. And now I listen to it again. And even if it's not my favorite album ever, I have such more appreciation for it now because yes. of that cool story behind 2112 and what they went through the history behind that and also yeah. what the song is actually saying like what is the story that they're telling and so that was that was the same for me as thick and, and thick as a brick when we did that episode on thick as a brick like i've never heard that record before going into doing that episode but it it, it created a, a a new intriguing insight into the record right. after right. after we found out all that interesting information and that episode was really, really awesome. And I've had people tell me that they really, really enjoyed that episode because that that story is so weird but powerful at the exact same time. And uh, it draws it draws you into the music when you know a little bit of the background. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, flip on another track there, Destin. Flip yeah. on uh... – what do you want? I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to, to hear something. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you got a lot of these Let's, loaded on here. Don't you? Oh, man. That's bad. Yeah, Let's, that's we'll pull up Gravity bad. Eyelids. Fantastic so, track. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, with Gravity Eyelids, it's interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into this. I'll, I'll give a, a quick uh, thing, if that's okay, Dustin. Go go right ahead. A, a quick little... Uh, uh, this is long thought. as it doesn't last longer than five seconds. This is... Oof. Um, <laughs> um, this, <laughs> this, this was a very interesting... Uh, song when i first heard it these drums that you're hearing in the background right now uh-huh sorry i just want to give a moment for them to yeah, hear that here let's, let's um, crank it up i love it yeah it's great it's so very, weird. and again melatronish kind of oh yeah yeah and you can like i said they create these very elaborate soundscapes which yes. is very psychedelic and, it, it, and I, it, I love it, that props to Lots of props to Richard Barbieri there, um, and uh, who, who is the keyboard player who, in fact, played keys with Japan. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, no. he, he played he played keys for a, a long time with with Japan, the band Japan. Um, so it's just funny to me thinking of Japan and then thinking of Porcupine Tree and like, dude, um, it's it's just funny to me thinking of that yeah. contrast. But um, yeah. he is a I, I mean, when I think of when I think of progressive rock keyboard players, I think of, um, golly, I mean, I think, I just think of virtuoso, you know, just virtuosity, like you know Keith Emerson or you know Rick Wakeman from Yes, like these guys are right. absolutely crazy, yeah. And with this guy, with with Richard Barbieri, he he is not a virtuosic player. He doesn't play super fast stuff. He's very textural. And what I love about it too is that he's so good at creating textural soundscapes and atmospheres. Like he does a very good job at implementing very unique sounds and pads and, and soundscape-ish type of material into the music that gives us this really, really kind of pleasant feel to it. But also he can crank it downward in some of the music and make it really weird and dark and kind, almost kind of it makes you anxious a little bit. So he's really good. He's very good oh, yeah. at, at bringing well, on the, all of these di- types of sounds. So massive props to this dude because well, he's not the greatest. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, shred on a keyboard, but he does his job really well for the band. Well, Rick Wright, right? I oh, mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking of as yes. Pink Floyd's keyboard yeah, player is Richard absolutely. Wright. Absolutely. This, 
this is very reminiscent of that. And that's why I said I totally maintain, you know, and well, let me tell you this. I contend, uh, you know, with with a lot of the other people that Dustin mentioned earlier when he was given a history of the band that they were the, the Pink Floyd of the 90s. Yeah, I, I get that. Right. The, the keyboards alone are, are proof of that. Uh, and but 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 what I was going to say about Gravity Eyelids was that it, it reminds me of at least the drums at the beginning reminds me of Peter Gabriel's We Do What We're Told, parentheses <laughs> Milgram 37. Yeah, that that percussion is just very similar to that. Yeah, um, that's cool. But I another thing I noticed that. throughout throughout this whole record is that they use a lot of vocal effects yes. to, to give you a different story, a different feel, a different world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stephen Wilson, I think, likes to play around a lot with how you can manipulate the voice and modulate it. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love that. It's very theatrical, I think, because you're giving a different character to that voice every time. I'll give you a different insight on that as well. Um, and I actually only know that. I, for, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I love this. Okay, like, do you know what, like, that card shuffler thing sound that's going on in the background? Do you hear that? Oh, yeah, this kind of... Like, what What on earth? Who comes up with that? Like, that's just weird. And it's kind of randomly thrown out. It's just... and Well, and this is where it gets kind of prog metal-ish where people yes. labeled this and started to label them more as a prog metal group. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'll i go ahead and say, I, I it, it's, I get why people say that. I get why people say because it is heavier and, and a lot of metal can just be attributed to how it's, it makes you feel very angry and high energy yeah. and, and lots of distortion on the guitar. And this definitely has that, right. but it's not like a lot of modern metal that I hear because uh, unlike something like Tool, and, and not to bash them or anything, but this is just much more nuanced. Because Very. if you notice right before this, this was almost like a ballad or a lament. Like you hear very. this very sad, you know, very textural, very... Melancholic kind of... Yeah, yeah, very soft. Very somber. Soft. And then it just yeah. it gets heavy, and then it gets soft again later on. Yeah. And, it, it, and, and to that... That shows that it has a variety of moods, which is something we talked about ever since the very first episode. A thing that kind of defines a progressive rock feature is that they will have longer songs, longer than the mainstream, which is typically about anywhere from two and a half to four minutes, probably. Sure. That longer than most, and they go through moods and sections. And yes. Gravity Eyelids is a perfect example of that, as is Strip the Soul, because those yes. are the longer songs on the album. Yeah. And speaking of the length, I also just want to say, none of them are... I mean, they're long relative to a lot of popular music, but none of them is over eight minutes. And we've yep. reviewed a lot of things where, or, or a lot of albums where they're super long, like 20 minutes, or, yeah. or Thick as a Brick is really one piece that they just had to turn over. So that's like 40 minutes, really, what they call as one track. Right, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's with, with lots of moods in there and everything, too. So, But I just found that really interesting that a fair chunk of this album is like five... Yeah, like five minutes is roughly maybe six, and then you know, of course, we've got this song and another that's almost eight. Yeah, um, and and to that point too, and this is interesting. I, this is uh, a, another a different perspective on it, um, as well. The uh, 
the reason I actually have, I, I actually know just from my long-term research of this band, the reason why they started going to this era, and it actually started in the year 2000 when they released an album called Lightbulb Sun, phenomenal record. But before 2000, uh, 1999 was like Stupid Dream, and then other albums before this were very experimental. Um, they, they didn't really have a song structure, kind of like a you know verse bridge chorus first you know it didn't have like sections laid out it was just very kind of go with the flow sort of deal um and so when it started hitting to this area he actually um steven started associating himself with uh, some different musicians um who were writing um more song structure music more radio friendly music starting around that time in 2000 so you're absolutely like spot on with that being that the, these songs aren't that long. I think that was very intentional because all of their stuff beforehand, I mean, they have songs that are 18, 21, 23 minutes long before all of these records that were a much, 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 much longer. I had several different sections and the, and this record specifically, as well as the, maybe the last two before being stupid dream and light bulb summon light bulb sun in 2002 in the year 2000, up to this point are now starting to focus more on a song structure and trying to not really trying to get on the radio, but just, you know, moving towards a different, a different style. Like, you know, we want to try this now. We want to try writing more song structure music rather than right, just writing maybe, a bunch of experimental Pink Floyd kind of textural soundscape stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And focus more, focus our energies just a little bit more. Yes. You know, yeah, that, that yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. It's very yeah. interesting. And too. also, also, uh, I, to complete my point before we go, before I opened up Gravity Eyelids, um, this is also just something that I've seen because I've seen like five billion interviews with Stephen Wilson. Um, something that he, the reason that he says this is this is quoting from him. I, I'm not going to give you exact quote, but let's just say I'm paraphrasing this. He knows that he's not the greatest singer. Um, this is him talking basically. He, he knows he's not the greatest singer. So a lot of the time, the reason why he uses effects, the reason why he uses a lot of harmony is because he knows he's not Peter Gabriel. He knows he's not these, these, you know, these incredible singers. So to him, he just uses his voice, which is very humbling. Honestly, he just, and, and he has an, honestly, you have to have a lot of humility to even look at yourself as that he knows he's not the best. So instead of trying to be the best, he's just going to use his voice more as an artistic quality to the music rather than being like, well, I'm the singer. You know what I mean? Right. Right. No. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's, I mean, that's taking a stance of humility, which is great, but it's also saying, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't need to be the best, even though, even though prog rock is full of all kinds of virtuosic musicians, I don't need to be the best. I know I'm not the best. I know I'm not Stills Crosby. And I don't need to have all these amazing harmonies and everything. I'm just going to do what I can do with what I can do and see what, and see what comes from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's and I mean it's very similar to Pink Floyd in the sense that to me when I listen to it, minus maybe Gavin Harrison, you know, I don't listen to this and I'm blown away by the musicianship. I'm I'm not, you know. Right. But same with Pink Floyd. I'm not blown away by how many notes they can cram into a bar. I'm blown away with the texture and the yes. passion that I can hear in a David Gilmore solo and the insanity and bar barbarism that I hear in Roger Waters' voice in the concepts that they construct and animals and and the wall and all of that so they again very reminiscent of pink floyd definitely progressive rock very artistic pushing the boundaries of what rock music and and modern pop music or popular music can be 
So yeah. uh, props to them for that. I, I really respect them in, in that sense. And this, this, this album absolutely exhibits that. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I know I mentioned Gavin. I, I just have to quickly slide in here. Yeah. I can definitely hear the influence on your drumming. Destin yeah. that Gavin has had. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. you said, and I, I, you had said this, so I was kind of predisposed to listen to this, uh-huh. or, or to think this, I mean, but you had said our first album was more like Neil Peart. You were very inspired Absolutely. by Neil Peart, and you yeah. can hear that, and then the second yeah. album, it was more Gavin, yes. and I hear this album, and I'm like, yes, like listening yep. to, to our second album, Metris, I'm like, yeah, you sound a lot like Gavin on this record, yeah. because <laughs> that was what you were taking inspiration from at that point in your life. Right. So, yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, and and he's he's great. I mean, you know, he he's he's the real deal. I I had seen a video of him, and you probably were the one to show it to me. Possibly, where he does a a, a track of his solo, separate from Cork Country, just his own work. I think mm-hmm. called Nineteen Days. And uh, I mean, I was enthralled with that video. Oh, I mean, it's, the guy's it, a phenomenal it drummer. Floored me. Um, um, and every well, he, everything about his and everything about his is the drum tones to the way that they recorded to the way that you watch him I and mean, he just looks like water dude like it's just he's a, he's very creative very progressive in his approach to the kit and and you can hear that he uses the whole kit you know you, yes <laughs> you know what i mean when i say that yeah. there are some drummers who have so much to work with but they're only using a, their crash their kick and their snare or something you know yeah, yeah. um or but he you can tell this is a guy who really thinks about what he's going he composes a lot of what he's going to play and not that he can't improvise because i'm sure he does oh my gosh dude he takes time to you you can tell to really creatively think about okay how is this going to fit within the context of the song yeah and and we'll we'll give a really really great uh example of that at the end of this episode because we're going to end this episode with the sound of muzak which ultimately kind of was the big highlight track from this record but also a highlight track of gavin because he plays this, he kind of does this smooth out pattern where he's playing quarter notes over the 7-4 bar um, in, in the music. And if you're obviously musically inclined, we'll understand that. But it just, it makes the music, in, in, in short, it makes the music feel smooth while, while being in an odd time signature. And it's absolutely brilliant. And, um, you know, so he does a really great job trying to possibly make odd times sound like they're not in odd times and he does it reverse too he makes like stuffed in four four sound like it's not in four four and that's just that's so progressive that that's just so progressive rock it's it's laughable it's amazing um but i, I have, also a, have to sorry go ahead oh go ahead no no, no, no no go ahead okay uh well one thing i was going to say and and i'll i i always say this about porcupine tree stuff but I am a massive fan of their live material, their live DVDs, their live CDs for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but if you are a drummer, if you appreciate drums, like listening to drums or watching drums, I can't stress enough to go and check out Porcupine Tree's live stuff because, oh my goodness, Gavin unleashes on every song. I mean, just absolutely unleashes everything that he's got. And he does it, it like, I'm talking like 300% from the studio records. Uh, it's 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 not even funny. He just goes crazy. And it's amazing to listen to and watch. And it's not, he's, he's not overplaying, I don't think. I still think it fits the music. 
but he's just he's just fantastic. And and so if you're if you're a drummer, appreciate drums, YouTube it, go buy the live DVDs, the live the the live stuff because it just sounds fantastic. Honestly, in my personal opinion, I think the live shows are better recordings than the studio tracks. That's my personal opinion. Huh. Yeah. I think they just sound more more raw, um, more energy. They also have their um, their uh, they have their uh, John Wesley, which is kind of their backup guitarist slash backup vocalist, which he has just an incredibly unique voice. And um, yeah, it's just it just feels like you're there. Like this this stuff sounds like it was like yeah, this was done in a studio. This was done in a computer. But their live recordings sound like you're sitting right in front of them. For some reason, I don't under I don't really understand it other than it just it makes me I'm just drawn to the to live the live tracks more than the studio tracks. Honestly, hmm. yeah, it's it's really bizarre. But I also have a quote from Stephen Wilson on Gavin Harrison um, coming into *In Absentia*, and then we should probably go into the concept of this record. Yeah. Um, so this is a this is a quote from Stephen Wilson talking about Gavin Harrison. In Absentia was all written before Gavin came on. Even the drum parts were kind of programmed. But it's one of those times sometimes in life when everything comes together. I'd written these songs and I was very much more interested at that time having worked with Opeth, another progressive rock band, and the idea of combining a more, a more kind of brutal or metal aspect back again into the fabric of the music. At the same time, Gavin came along, and Gavin was a very different drummer to our previous drummer, Chris Maitland. He was also much more of a powerhouse, and he was much more technical. He had more of a contemporary edge to his sound, so it was just one of those really lucky things that he came in, and as he played those songs, it just blew everyone away, and everyone was just kind of, and it just kind of came together. And of course, it was just the first record we made for our, for our new label, and we got signed to a big American label for the first time, which was uh, Lava Records. Gavin was the final piece to that equation in a way. He just totally raised the bar in terms of not just a drumming, but just the musicianship right throughout the band. Everyone was listening to Gavin and saying, wow, we really need to step up our game. So Gavin's, that was the end quote right there. Um, So Gavin's influence just as a player really I believe influenced them just as like, holy crap, guys! Like this dude is a monster, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of stepping us the, up. He was the King Crimson to their yes, yeah, right, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you know, we had discussed that I think on I forget either either the yes episode or the King Crimson episode or maybe both uh, episode three and five. But that that was you know when yes saw king crimson their debut album and they were like dang this is this is a totally new feel of rock music we we've got to get there and that's when they decided to to they were like look let's look for a great drummer because that's the thing about this this record or or not this record that this band is is missing is a fantastic drummer and then they got bill bruford so yeah Um, i dude something i imagine and we'll go into the concept really quick but something i imagine is like I it, this is so weird. Something I imagine is first picking up this album after being like an avid Porcupine Tree fan in 2002, after listening to all of their psychedelic albums and stuff like that for 10 years, starting the record and just hearing that first track, Blackest Eyes, just storming right out of the gate with those just blistering guitars, the heavy drums and everything. I would just be 
Like I'm, I'm like that's just crazy. Which Blackest Eyes was the opening track that we that we played um, coming into the episode. But I just imagine that just being like, what the heck just happened? Like new drummer, rougher sounds, just those heavy guitars and everything. And I'm just like, dang, that is just. I feel like that's just uh, just a massive flip that it was. I don't know. I just I just picture somebody listening to like a bunch of like really Pink Floyd esque music for ten years and then flipping on that album and expecting more of that. And then that happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah, funny sure. to me. So well so true, true, what is what does in absentia even mean? I think it, it means it's the Latin phrase for in absence of, and it's used in a lot of law. And uh I'm looking right now uh, to make sure that I'm not wrong here. Well, I looked uh, it up reporting. on, I think in dictionary, it says so, Latin for while absent. Right. Yeah. Exa yeah. But they use it in a lot of law. Um, so I'm reading here off of the, the Porcupine Tree website. Uh, it's often in reference to a person's rights when mentally unable to be represented in court in legal situations. So uh, can I can I go ahead and delve into the, the, the concept Please, behind yeah, it? Yeah, sorry. I've been ranting so, way too much. No, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm just super intrigued with the concept of this album. Yeah, the, the concept is so again similar to Pink Floyd. It's kind of about ins they, they like to do a lot of things pertaining to insanity. Yeah, well, this this definitely pertains to insanity. Uh, Absolutely. Really, the the concept behind the album. Sorry, the Good. concept behind the album is uh, about serial killers. That yeah. is what uh, had been said. Um, by Wilson. Uh, he said, and this is a quote from him, he said, it comes from, it's, it's related to some of the lyrics. It's about people on the fringes, on the edges of humanity and society. I have an interest in serial killers, child molesters, and wife beaters. Not in what they did, but in the psychology of why. What caused them to become unhinged and twisted? Why are they unable to empathize? It's sort of a metaphor. There's something missing, a black hole, a cancer in their soul. It's an absence in the soul. Yeah. So that's the meaning behind in absentia, right? Like, wh where did the soul go? Where did our empathy go? All of that. And so he's really focusing on on people who just cannot relate to the rest of society, who have lost their humanity. Yeah. You know, and have no value of life anymore. It's so really weird. they I'd take it from someone else or from themselves. And that's something I was very interested to think about. Uh more so the the suicidal part of it with something like prodigal so prodigal is a is a song it's a beautiful song it actually. really it's is sad but it's really pretty the the music behind it yeah and i looked at the lyrics in fact this morning i was like i need to read like almost all these lyrics i need to go on and read all of them prodigal is depressing it is prodigal is is it a depressing song where someone's talking about how rough life can be and just the pressures of that and i'm thinking how does this pertain to serial killing well you know, you could say you feel like, you know, you're depressed and that life has no value and that it is so dark and everything. To me, it's I interpreted that as, okay, well, isn't suicide still a form of murder? Usually we think of taking someone else's life rather than our own. But that's still a type of killing, maybe not serial killing, but it, it still pertains to this idea that life doesn't have value, whether it's someone else's life or whether it be my life. I don't think it's worth it. It doesn't matter. And so that's a very interesting song on the record that I encourage everyone to to listen to in context of the other ones as well. But yeah. uh but I, I think when I when I was looking this up too, Wilson didn't say like, you know, this is a concept album. 
Right. You know what I'm there saying? There are recurring they, themes I, and, and people say that right. there has been, I, I think, honestly, I think a lot of people try to cling on to the whole uh, serial, serial, excuse me, serial killer kind of concept. It's there. It's not really a concept. I mean, it's got a general theme, I think, but I don't think it should be forced onto every single song, specifically Prodigal, because I, I, I've seen that, 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 that song is, it's not, it's, I don't think it's about a serial killer and you, and you're right about that. It's, it's kind of more suicidal, unfortunately, you know? Well, I, you know, I think it's one of those where it can be a concept album, if that makes any sense. Almost like, yeah. well, it's similar to what we, what we listen to. So, so I wouldn't say right off the bat, that's what you think of when you think of a concept right. album. I wouldn't say, yeah, that's definitely a concept album, but, uh, because it does have a unifying theme throughout the, the most every song, uh, I think you could you could make an argument for it. I, I'm not saying I would totally agree with that, but it's kind of like Lateralis, where there's a lot of similar themes throughout right. it. You know, uh, and the meaning of of the name of the album can be seen throughout a lot of of the songs on the album. And when that happens, you can argue that it might have some type of concept, whether it be a full on formal definition of concept album or not. But then once you do that, then you start to look for stuff. I did that. I was like serial killers. And so I went through every single song and I'm like, okay, this is how this could be a serial killer. And then I started thinking, hold on, wait, is this a character? Is this literally just different aspects of his life? It's the same person, like a character he made that is a serial killer. And this is this point in his life. And this is how he feels about this topic in his life. Sound of music. Oh, the music industry sucks. And everyone's a bunch of sheep and blah 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 one of the wonders of the world is going down exactly so i'm angry about that and i'm gonna kill all the phonies it reminds me of like freaking like piggies by the beatles but you know like when people started to kill rich people or you know and they took they they claimed that they were influenced by the beatles yeah yeah but um But it reminds me of that kind of stuff where like someone's angry about a cause or something. And so, you know, they they start to go wild and unhinged because of that because there's no justice. Something I know about Stephen's songwriting as well is that he he loves to write not from a not not on a topic. He doesn't write about the topic of serial killers. Something he really likes to do is actually write from a perspective of a character in that situation. So um, and he does yeah. this throughout his career um, on his on his new on his newer stuff, his solo stuff um, and and with other future Porcupine Tree albums. He does this thing where he uses a lot of first person writing, but first person in a scenario talking about talking about a character in a certain situation, which is directly towards, you know, I mean, the first the first stanza of, of Prodigal. I don't know whose side I'm on. I don't think that I belong around here. If I left the stage, would that be wrong? You know, it's I, I, I. It's it's more about a character perspective of, you know, he's so he's kind of writing it in third person of a first person character that, that right. is that is talking about, you know, suicide or talking about serial killers and and his perspective on what they're thinking, you know, which um which I don't know if that's super common or or what. I mean, that's that's just what I know about it. But I like it. I like that because it's not, I don't know, it, it doesn't take the stance of like super opinionated. You know what I mean? It's more about perspective rather than opinion. Does that make sense? Right. Kinda. I don't think it's about saying that this is right, right or wrong. It's raising a question, which is 
through, you know, through, through a yes. character, which is what, I mean, that's just what art does. That's what art does, whether it be a portrait or a painting or it be a piece of music or it be a film or yeah. something like that. You know, I, I read something the other day. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to sneeze. <laughs> Thank you folks. I appreciate it. Um, that was good. So, uh, was really but good. I read something the other day where uh, someone was saying <laughs> that true, you know, true, you know, a, a lot of stuff today is so polarized because of our, our social and political differences, at least in the United States. But honestly, it's around the world too. I mean, that, that's always a thing. Yeah. And, and he was saying, you know, recently there's, you know, so many films nowadays are said to be really great because they espouse the right mentality or the right message. And he's like, I found a film the other day that I really enjoyed because it did the, not the opposite, but it didn't push an agenda or saying, this is right. This is what you should think. This is blah, blah, blah. It just raised a question. It didn't say whether it was right or wrong. I think art just is supposed to raise those questions and start that discussion. It's supposed to be a catalyst for that stuff. Yeah. We interrupt our own program to say, become a special Prognotes patron to get some unique benefits. Drew, why don't you tell them what they'll get? One of our tiers is called Watcher of the Skies, where you can see our sexy faces in the video format of our episodes and get a monthly call with both me and Destin, again, with our sexy faces, and fellow Watchers of the Skies. Sexy's okay to say, right? I, I don't I don't know, what? man. Like, like when, when did sexy become like a bad word? It was just, it's just weird, Drew, and you're too old to not know that by now huh. yeah so become a patron to get some awesome benefits like early access to our episodes and be a part of our vip community on our discord and you can find all of this at patreon.com slash prognotes back to the episode and uh I, I think stephen wilson does that brilliantly yeah you know uh yes this is sad stuff i think most people would universally agree but i think he's just raising yeah. uh, a topic Let's, i mean like you said you know, you know like like he, he wasn't saying i'm not a fan of of serial killers but i think it's interesting right. and let's let's try to look behind that curtain and then let's 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 see what's underneath the hood exactly you know so. it's interesting prodigal is prodigal is a really pretty song i i really enjoy that track. fantastic really track. enjoy that track and then it also flows into dot three which we've already listened to as well um which is a cool little groove jam session sort of thing but very very reminiscent of the of kind of the, of the pink floyd guitars kind of that spacey feel which is which is really cool a good contrast to the dark thicker distortion sounds that are going on on the rest on the couple you know gravity eyelids and blackest eyes and and even in trains and uh songs before it so that i think that song really takes a uh not really a turning point you know what i mean but it's 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 seen that song pokes out the most to me maybe not the most but one of the, one of the most but then it also flips around when it goes like creator has a master tape yeah and this one's a this very, one's nutty dude it's nutty it's full of lots of lunacy oh yeah uh, it, it's and it, yeah it's just bizarre yeah and what um, makes it even weirder too is the very upbeat tempo yep yep really yep really bizarre but yeah, the lyrics are absolutely insane, yeah, and barbaric, yeah. and, and yeah, horrifying. And, the, and 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 just even, I mean, I, when I when I think of the uh, when I think of this song, it actually kind of uh, kind of brings me around to the album cover. Like when I think of the album yeah, cover, I think yeah. of this song. When I think of this well, song, I, was gonna, I think of the album cover specifically. I was gonna bring bring up the album cover next, actually, just the artwork on it. Dude, it's it's really weird. 
It's weird. It's it's great though. It pertains to this kind of theme of insanity or lack of attachment to anything, yeah. right? The guy's eyes rolling back in his head, and also the texture they use on his face. Oh yeah, dude. It almost looks like there's a like a type of parchment paper over this lens or something. Really that, weird. That they took the photograph with to make it look like this this guy on the front of the album cover is like I don't I don't know that he's I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah, it's pretty ambiguous. It, 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 well, yeah, and it's just it's it's weird. It, it uh, is. I really enjoy it though. Um, but yeah, the guy's eyes rolling back in his head, and he's clutching his his temple and and his cheek with his fingers, and uh, yeah, just looks kind of insane. Which again, kind of, and maybe again, maybe it's because I, you know, there was that suggestion that it was about serial killers and it was a unifying theme. But I always go back to that. I'm like, okay, maybe this is the character who's supposed to be. You know, all of these different, you know, or not all of these different people, but uh, is represented in all these different songs, you know? Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, to, <laughs> yeah, it's a weird song. Strip the Soul. I think the creator has a master tape and Strip the Soul are definitely the darkest. Oh, yes. In darkest in the sense, maybe, I mean, I think there are sadder, but darkest in the sense that it's insane and angry and creepy and. Uh, unsettling? I would say unsettling, unsettling, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You just feel on edge when you hear the creator has a master tape yeah. and Strip that the Soul as well. Because you hear them. And, yeah, and Strip the Soul even as well. They just have a lot of those. Um, it's kind of that, that, that reoccurring theme. This is interesting. I never even picked this up until now. That kind of reoccurring theme of that kind of telephone telephone effect on the vocals. Right. Kind of that yeah, distorted, right, right. crunchy telephone effect is actually used... A, a fair amount, um, yeah. especially on Creator Has a Master Tape, but also in Strip the Soul, um, and, and the chorus, you know what I mean? That has that very crunchy sound, um, which just create it just makes it darker uh, in mm-hmm. terms of to- tonally, of course. But yeah, this 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 song's just, I mean, it 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 like it's 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 up tempo and it's hype and, it, and the drums and everything are just super cool. But, and then when it starts going into this too, good grief. I love that. That's such a cool sound. Yeah. Classic Gavin. Yeah. Pill, that's a fun pills fill. and chloroform. I mean, yep. yeah, it's something. It is something. What do you, what do you think? Like, what's the biggest, because like, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird to me sometimes thinking about like why would anybody enjoy an album when they're talking about like stuff that's so dark and like it's <laughs> it's about serial killers and it's 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 just right. it's, it's unsettling on purpose and they're talking about topics that you know people have you know I mean people have been I mean you know you never know like you know you never know some you may, you may know somebody who has a family member or somebody who's been killed by a serial killer or killed by someone who has just been, you know, possessed or, or whatever it is. And then people are making music yeah. out of it and selling 100,000 copies of it. And people absolutely love it. Like, why do you, why do you think hmm. that is? 
I never, I never thought of it that way. You kind of make it seem like they're they're capitalizing on on something, and you know, I I, I don't think that's why they. Of did course, it. yeah. I I and let me but let me no, state this. Let me state way- this as well. I don't think that's why they're doing it either. I'm not. I don't think that they're trying. And something that I've heard as well is that, and I may, I may be wrong about this, but something. For example, I think somebody made a suggestion that this album was recurring to this guy named uh, Fred West, who was a serial killer, um, in in the UK, and some people may have thought that. Stephen gained some perspective or gained some influence or whatever, or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it was, um, from Fred West's story and, and used it in this record. And I'm not saying that, you know, Stephen Wilson's trying to capitalize on stuff that Fred West did or, or any serial killer did for his own personal gain in, in the music industry or whatever. But like, why, why even picture or why even imagine or, or even get the idea that you know I'm going to create an album. You know, Drew, Drew, hey, what? I'm, I'm going to create an album, and uh, I'm going to write it. It's going to be about serial killers, and we're going to talk about we're going right. to talk about some you know pretty um, you know maybe a lot of depressing, maybe some suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, a, lot, a lot of dark stuff. We're going to talk about a lot. You know, we're we're going to use a lot of dark effects. And, and stuff like that. Like, what, what, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be a little unsettling? Think, like, looking at me and you'd be like, Dustin, like, why do you want to do that? That's a little, like, <laughs> are you okay? Like, do we need to talk? Is that, I, are you okay? <laughs> why do you think that is? I, well, I, I know that, well, again, like I said earlier, Pink Floyd kind of deals with a lot of topics of insanity too. I think a lot of people, not everyone, but I think a lot of people are drawn to the idea of insanity, not just Stephen Wilson. Uh, I'm actually one of them. I, I I mean, and we mentioned, I mean, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, he deals with the macabre. And on that episode where we did the Alan Parsons project, uh, the, their album, Tales of Mystery and Imagination, I said that Poe was probably my favorite if I had to pick one. And he deals with a lot of people who are possessed and just deal with this weird insanity and all these weird thoughts that just control them and, and just make everything blurry. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've I've always found that fascinating. I think a lot of people do too, uh, but a lot of people don't. I think <laughs> to your right. point, I think there's a lot of people that have that exact same or raise that exact same question you do of why would I listen to that? Right. I don't listen to music to think about that right. stuff. I listen to happy pop music because you know that's what I want to exactly. Feel. And I think that's the biggest thing is but, that word that you just use, feel. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I, I think. And this has been this has been something that I think has been common in like in progressive rock. Like sometimes people have like said that it's musicians' music. Have you ever heard that term? Has anybody ever said that to you? Like somebody uh, said that. It's, yeah, I've heard that in, in, in the past. Yeah, like I've heard I've had people, or that sentiment. Yeah, or somebody says it's like oh yeah, like progressive rock. Oh yeah, it's musicians' music. Like only musicians get it or whatever. But you know, beyond that, people have also I, I think it's. It, this stuff makes you think more about it's it's more intriguing to the mind than it is intriguing to the soul or the heart you know i think it's a little bit more you know stuff like this is like it's unsettling you know but like if that's the only thing you're focusing on you're really not going to get anything out of this because all you're going to feel like is crap and i'm not saying i'm not saying it's that bad but do you, I mean, what do you think? Would you agree with that? I don't know. Maybe it's because I used to be an actor and I used to really get invested in the characters that I portrayed. 
but I, I get into this. Like, I get into the, the idea of feeling that weird and that... Br like, I, I very much appreciate what Steven says, is like, what makes them be that way? And I will temporarily kind of, like, go insane. That sounds weird. I'm not a nut job, but I... <laughs> Uh, you know, we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll talk later. Everyone in the house that I'm in right now is completely safe. I'm not gonna kill them in their sleep. Uh, we'll cut that out later. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. Um, gosh, gosh. Uh, but you know, it's it's cool to kind of get in that that mentality of okay, I am kind of unhinged. I am kind of broken. I am kind of, I don't know. The, so, I guess what I'm saying is I disagree with you that the whole that it offers more to the mind than the soul or the feel because I get a lot of feel and a lot of soul out of this as well as the mind. I think I think just the topic they raise is is a I don't know requires a little bit more thought, but the music itself still raises a lot of feel, a lot of soul. It just may not be something that a lot of people want to connect with or can't connect with. Right. Um, yeah. Or refuse to. <laughs> or yeah, exactly. Like, I mean it's like they don't they don't want to go there yeah exactly they don't want to go there that's just a little weird yeah them. absolutely but it's yeah it's super interesting too uh yeah strip the souls you want to you want to know a fun fact real quick mm-hmm so steven is a uh, is a big fan of surround sound mixing which i've always found fascinating and i really wish i had the opportunity and have or have the opportunity to listen to surround sound stuff because that that idea to me being an audio engineer and like understanding mixing and stuff like that that all, that sounds really cool to me but so steven's a massive he's a big fan of surround sound mixing and uh, which i believe most of his records have been mixing surround sound but in absentia won the award for the best 5.1 mix at the 2004 surround sound music awards in los angeles where you currently are at the moment and, uh, and I know this is not the first award that he's won for surround sound mixing. Um, he's done a lot of surround sound stuff, loves surround sound, and uh, loves to encapsulate people, kind of like a movie, you know, sit sitting, in a, sitting in a theater. Like, he wants to do that audibly, and, um, right. which, is, which is cool. But it's just a little fun fact. Um, well, yeah. If you have access to surround sound stuff, all of his stuff can be, is, can be found in surround sound mixes and you can get it and listen to it in surround sound super cool yeah well i know he was big on mixing and and manipulating sound to really encase someone in in a world and i mean you know i think we mentioned i think on, in the court of the crimson king episode that he's worked with robert fripp i think a couple of times um, yeah robert fripp has actually uh featured um in in some of porcupine tree stuff as well as alex lifeson from rush awesome yeah, has also featured and and with him, so he's he's pretty well connected in the uh, older progressive rock community, I guess. But um, so yeah, he, he he's worked with Robert Fripp in the past. I think also, oh gosh, um, shoot, uh, he's also worked with Alan Parsons as well. Alan Parsons actually produced one of Stevens' records. That's really cool, as well. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. I love that too because. Um, like I think the two albums that really got Steven Wilson into into music was that his dad brought had a uh, a copy of Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd and his mom had a copy of Love to Love You um, by uh, oh shoot crap everybody's gonna be looking at me like hold on all right <laughs> love to love uh, Love to Love You Baby Donna Summer 
which is which is actually a pop record, which is where a lot of his pop influence comes into play in his later stuff. But yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, I think it's also this is so heavy right here. Good lord! Oh, they build it so well. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's like this epic. It's a very epic climax to the song, right? It all gets quiet and then you just. Good lord, dude. Like you're climbing up this mountain of like rage and turmoil and insanity. Yeah. And this is this is the 11th song on 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 the 12 songs out of the 12 songs in the record which you know just really delivers this like massive climax and then the last song collapse the um collapse the light into earth which is this almost almost kind of like cold play piano ballad kind of thing. Yeah. Um but it's really it's it seems a little bit more honest than Coldplay, personal opinion. Um, it's it's interesting to note, uh, in a 2009 interview, Wilson acknowledged that both he and his general fan base have come to view the album as the crowning achievement and best album of his career so far. Now, that was back in 2009. You know, he's done other stuff since then. But I think with Porcupine right. Tree, correct me if I'm wrong, Dustin, by that point, what was, was the incident not... It was the last album they made, right? Um, in 2009, uh, the incident was in 2009, but then they had a, uh, no, that yeah, that was the last album by Porcupine Tree in 2009. They also had live albums that came out after that all the way up until right. 2012. But last studio album was the incident in 2009. Yeah. Right. And so, and in 2009, so, you know, at this point he at least had, they had at least been working on it and may have even been released already, the incident. But yeah. even at that point, that was he considered the best album of his, his of his career so far. So at least with Porcupine yeah. Tree, he considers that the best Porcupine Tree album is in in Absentia. Yeah. Well, think about it. Like, I mean, you got In Absentia that came out in two thousand two, right? Mm-hmm. The next album after that that came out was in two thousand five, which was Deadwing, which was a another huge success. And then you had Fear of a Blank Planet, Fear of a Blank P- Planet. Wow, geez, uh, in two thousand seven, and then the incident in two thousand nine. All of those albums had those same recurring themes that in absentia did of those heavy distorted guitars and um you know and and more of that progressive metal hard rock kind of thing you know so i mean i would absolutely be like yeah in absentia that was the one that did it because this record if that record didn't exist all of these other records wouldn't have existed and we wouldn't have had the other huge commercial excess that we had between in absentia and uh in the incident in 2009 i mean that that really that style was a massive success for porcupine tree and specifically stephen wilson for like eight years you know right so yeah i mean that hail hail in absentia for being such a uh um a huge success and um a launch into the into the future future projects of stephen wilson as well as other progressive rock material you know oh yeah absolutely so all right, I got, I got, I got something for you here. All right, this is, yeah, you're probably gonna lose your, you're probably gonna lose your mind. We actually, Drew and I had a phone call. Um, we were talking about, or I think it was, I don't know, we were just talking, and we were talking about one of these songs on the record, which is a, an instrumental. Which uh, there are two instrumentals on this record, being "Wedding Nails" and "Dot 3. "Wedding Nails" was something that we had a, a couple of laughs about, which is a, a counter. Like you were, you were saying, what did it? What did you say? It reminded you of? It, it just cracked me. up. I said it reminded me of like a, 
the music you would hear on like a Street Fighter game, like a like a hand to hand combat, yeah, like some, like, some like kind like of video mo- game, like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, where you're like choosing your character, and it's like a you know, there's a pre like you don't create your own character. There's like a pre made list of like right. characters, and like they're punching and fighting each other. It reminded me of like those old fighter games. Yeah, and I was like, man, when I hear like this song, it reminds I can just automatically hear choose your fighter, shoot, and they, okay, Rekiku. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I ma- I made something for you here real quick in uh in my in some editing software. So you'll you'll dig this. Here you go. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh my gosh yeah you'll you'll have to, i'll have to play that again at some other- <laughs> whoa that was a yeah. shock yeah that was um oh, it, i was listening man. to that i was listening that was my surprise that i was telling you about last night as well oh that was, man like, lost your mind at that i knew yeah. you dig that that is just um, so freaking hilarious to me like okay. just <laughs> black ops zombies in there gosh if anybody- <laughs> Well, that's also super reminiscent of just what that's what we used to do. You and I played a bunch of zombies back in the day. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cannot believe you you did that, but that's awesome. Yeah, I I had to. It was just, it was too good to pass up. And I was like, oh, yeah, we got to make something out of that. Funny, funny thing. But yeah, it's a cool little groove. It's a a cool song, though. Um, Also very high energy, kind of like Creator Has a Master Tape. Um, Uh, It's interesting, like what's the point of the title of that song? I have no idea. So I was looking into that and no one really Really? knows. People have theories. People have theories. One of them says, I think of that. He says, okay, well, think of nails. You can't really think of nails in any good way. So when you think of nails, like, you know, that you use in construction or whatever, he was like wedding nails. Like to me, that next to that is kind of like, a nail in a coffin almost like you're sealing up your actual life because now you're chained to this person like you know kind of criticizing marriage so, so you're thinking criticizing. Of nails, are you thinking of like nails as in like well nail with a hammer well there's that and then it's like okay well think of nails in another context of your fingernails right so that's what i was whenever thinking. you that's think all of, how i've always thought whenever about you it. think of that the only other thing that you can think of Okay, some other people were like, okay, so when I look it up, you think wedding nails, like, oh, maybe the bride's nails, like she's, you know, put some nail polish on there or something. But with that aggressive tone, it was like, I think most people were like, I think of like nails on a chalkboard, something rough, right, yeah, something people don't like to listen to because not that that song is not a good song or, you know, is unpleasant to listen to, but it's very rough. And so because of the distorted guitars and, and the speed and all of that, so... Like people were like, I don't know, but I can't imagine that it's viewing marriage in a positive light at all. Like that the wedding is not a positive thing. It's aggressive music and with something with like a wedding that is traditionally supposed to be something happy, a union between two people who, who are in love. You know, uh, it seems to so people are like, we don't know what it means, but we think it's something negative about marriage. You know whether it's interesting. It's 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 almost. Are you talking like maybe like some kind of oxymoron thing going on there? I think. Well, when I hear it and I think of all of those things jumbled together, I'm like, well, maybe it's too. Well, I don't. Okay, I'm thinking. I'm I'm tying it all together because I am thinking of the 
concept overall theme yes i'm like what if this is one dude going out and killing people okay uh so later on in strip the soul and in uh what am i what's the other creator has a master tape yeah like in strip the soul he's like i'm gonna raise the kids right i'm gonna beat them good push the camera deeper and then in uh i mean before that in the creator has a master tape he raised the proper family so he could tie them to a bed or something. Like super abusive. Yeah. And some people were, were saying, it's interesting to look up other people's theories on this. We were saying like, what if it's not just one serial killer? What if he married someone who was also just as deranged as he was? And they're both kind of in cahoots, almost like Bonnie and Clyde, but right. to the nth degree of worst. Not just robbing banks at this point. They're abusing kids. They're killing people. Wow. They're doing horrible things. And I was like, Okay, that would totally change my perspective of what this lyricless track, Wedding Nails, is supposed to be. Huh. So when I hear Wedding Nails now, I'm like, wow, maybe it's two people who are already horrible in and of themselves. And now they're getting married and creating an even more destructive force by, like, working together. Their union together is... I don't know. Interesting. Again, maybe that's a really outlandish theory, but that's just what came to mind. Yeah. Thinking about all the names of them too, I'm now also looking at some of these other names too, and I and I'm looking at dot three, the other, you know, um, have no idea. Yeah, dot three. What that like means. I mean, like so you were gonna say the other lyricless track, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Dot three and wedding nails. Is, yeah, um, but yeah, like what the heck does dot three mean? Um, and honestly, this this may sound hmm, this may sound interesting, but when I think of like dot three, this is my theory. I think of like a caliber, a caliber of like maybe a bullet. Yeah, no, I get that. Like a dot. I mean, no idea. No idea. Um, that's no. I think that's a fair. Maybe that's a fair interpretation. Absolutely, because I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. I, I, don't, I don't even know if that even exists, though. I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know if like a you know a dot three caliber. I don't know. Like, I don't know anything about guns, so I, no, I couldn't. I, I couldn't tell you. But um, by the way, that track that we just listened to is actually a live track version of Heart Attack and a Layby, uh, which is one of the more somber tracks on the record. But I just personally love the live version of it um, because I think the uh, really kind of highlights the vocals of John Wesley, their kind of their backup, uh, their backup singer. And uh, that song, uh, the live version can be found on their live album, Arriving Somewhere, dot, 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 um, which is that's literally the name of it. I wasn't making a joke there. Um so yes so anyway but yeah that's that and then um and then we also have uh the other kind of somber track on the record as well which is collapse light in the earth which is the last song on the record um actually yeah we get we got a little bit of time i can play it i'll play it um because it's interesting i i really like it and this is just me personally i really like it when there's kind of a redemption at the end of a movie, you know, or at the end of an album or something like that. I don't necessarily, I don't like it when things end depressing. Um, like that's just, that's me personally. Um, I'd like, I like the redemption. Um, I like the redemption story. This song to me, I don't think it, I mean, I've never looked into the lyrical content of the song. Um, it's pretty sad because it's not, it's not, um, I don't know. I guess the song doesn't really like step out to me. Um, I, I don't like specifically go and like when I think of Porcupine Tree, it's like, uh, yeah, let's listen to Collapse Light into Earth. Like, 
It's not one of those songs for me. But, and I, I can tell that it's probably pretty sad, but it, it feels redemptive to me. It does. It. I, I totally see what you're feels saying. feels redemptive. I looked into, yeah, it it does. But I, I looked into the lyrics and I'm like, it's not though. Yeah, it's still pretty sad. <laughs> like it's, it's one of those really sad ones. Yeah. Uh, but like you say, it's it's done in such a beautiful way that it feels like there's and yeah the the they they craft this music that feels you know this feeling of okay things are looking up like a light sh going through a window yeah you know that that beam of light that's what it feels like oh there's some hope but you listen to it and it's really more of this like I don't know. I look at the lyrics and I see a sense of futility. That idea. I've accepted. Well, that, I, sorry, go ahead. I've accepted, which I guess has a beauty in and of itself, this acceptance. The idea of acceptance is nice, but it's accepting something horrible to me. Yeah. It's this acceptance of I can't change. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I won't heal given time. I won't try to change your mind. I won't feel better in the cold light of day, but I wouldn't stop you if you wanted to stay. Yeah, it's you know you think light in the title, so it's got to be great, right? Well, it's interesting but, as well uh, because it says I don't that image to collapse the light into earth. That, that yeah is that a, is that a metaphor for something? Is that like what is that what is that image supposed to portray? I guess. Well, yeah, that image combined with the music too. Really weird. Like slowly, it's nutty. like a pair of cheese. I, I know. Shoot. I got to stop going back to that. Like. Slowly, a, a pair of, of maybe, you know, gigantic hands or crushing the sun into the earth or something like that. It's, that's, I don't know. Interesting. Um, I kind of I almost thought of like but, a uh, a book. I know that's kind of weird, possibly, but I don't know. It's just, it was like a, like a book closing and uh, yeah. something collapse, collapsing onto itself. Yeah, this this it's appropriate that this is the last track Absolutely. on the album because it has a sense of finality. Yes, it, it does. It completion. certainly does, and it, and I love it too because in the placement of it because this song was right before "Strip the Soul," which was huge at the very end of that. I mean, it's just massive build yep. up, and uh, and then it drops yeah. drops real low into this you know collapse light into earth. But it's a really somber <laughs> track, which is um, the strings are phenomenal. I love it, and the harm yeah, kind of the oohs and ahs and everything. Yeah. It's it's really pretty. It is. And um, yeah. And speaking, actually, get this. Another fun fact for you. Um, the engineer um, who is on this record, his name's Paul Northfield. Does that name sound familiar to you? No? Okay. No, I don't um, think so. Paul Northfield was, uh, was the guy who engineered the record. Uh, and, and But he's also engineered records for Dream Theater uh, and Gentle Giant as well as Rush. Um, in fact, the same year that Northfield did this record, he also engineered Vapor Trails. Oh, wow. Yep. Also, he was the engineer for Permanent Waves, Moving Pictures, and Grace Under Pressure. Whoa. Yeah. That was like, whoa, dude. Whoa, what? What? <laughs> you know, all by Rush. Yeah. This. So this dude... Yeah, he's been around on, on Rush records, which for us, we're massive Rush fans, so that's, yeah. that's kind of a, a huge deal. Um, and, uh, but I thought that was interesting. This, the, yeah, this guy did, um, Vapor Trails the same year that he did this record because Vapor Trails came out in 2002, Rush album. Um, but also engineered Permanent Waves back in 1980 and then 81 and then 84 for Grace Under Pressure. Really weird. You know? Yeah. So, uh, another I thing have a to question. mention. Okay. Yes. Yes. I was just going to ask. 
before before we close out, I was wondering what your favorite track on the album was. If you had to pick a favorite. Um, well, I had okay. So I got I got two for two different reasons. Um, one is because of pure nostalgia, but also I love I love the song. But then the the other one is just because I love the the construction of the track. So the one I love for nostalgia is the sound of music, which we're going to end the episode with. Um, it's it's the first song I ever heard by Porcupine Tree. It's the first song that ever got into really, but but it goes beyond my love for Porcupine Tree. Like that song infected the way I play drums because of Gavin. So it's it's a little bit more personal for me, not only through just like listening to Porcupine Tree and really and really digging their music, but also it affected how I play drums that song like i mean right. not directly but kind of indirectly at the same time because if right. it weren't for that song it wouldn't i wouldn't have gotten the gavin if it didn't get into gavin it wouldn't have affected my playing right. um and how i approach things so sound of music is phenomenal plus it's just an awesome song and um and it's really cool but in terms of like con- the construction of the track as well as just the feel of it as well as the lyrical content, the catchiness and the tune of it is blackest eyes, which is the song that we opened the song, uh, the song that we opened, um, the episode with, I love that riff. That riff is just, it's one of those riffs where it's just kind of like, how did you write that? Right. Do dandy, do dandy, dead, do do, do do, do do, do do, do do, And then it goes into this very acoustic guitar poppy thing. I love the acoustic guitar hitting yeah. in such a contrast to that. Yes. And his and his super. voice is really soft and and high and very pretty on top of that too. Yeah. And uh, it's and just it, very different from and it's, the aggression it's a very, in the beginning. It's a very simple structure. Like it's not a very complicated song. Just the riffs are cool and and the and the chorus is just super catchy. I got wire and loose inside my head. I got a books that I never ever read. Like it's just yeah, that whole and the harmonies on top of it, I just love it. I love the whole song as in in terms of the the construction and the way that it hits just right off the bat to get to get in those heavy drums and everything. It's just it's just a it's a thick, powerful song, and I think it's a great way to open the record. Um, but it's also it it just it, it it tops it off to me like it it just right off the bat first song boom yeah it's it's solid right off the bat so. But uh, but yeah, but for for your perspective though, I want to know what yours was because I've listened to this record for a couple of years. But what was probably uh, after listening to it a few times, what what's what's your favorite? Uh, it's a good question because a lot of these. Well, okay, I had heard the sound of music before. I instantly liked that one. And, yes, and, you know, right. I, I I had liked it, um, and when I heard it again, I liked it. Uh, a lot of these popped up it was one of those things you know i listened to it uh, several times popped up and i was like whoa i didn't like this one before but now i do that is so weird uh um, i remember i remember that happening with uh um with strip the soul uh um, yeah you were, you were telling me at first it was just kind of like yeah but then it, it kind of grew on you a little bit more yeah absolutely uh and same with blackest eyes i was like okay whatever whatever and then i heard it again and i was like wait this is really good and i heard it again and i was like this is fantastic um if I had to choose a favorite, though, that is tough because there, there's a lot of songs on here that are very unique. So it's kind of hard to, to do that. But uh, I might have to go with Prodigal. Yeah. Uh, I just really love the music in that song. The melody, 
and the tapestry they create. And I love that effect the on his slide. voice. Well, yeah, I love the slide. I also love the slide. I also love the um, weird vocal effect where you can honestly hardly make out what he's saying. It almost sounds like a robot in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love that. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And I love the lyrics in it too, even though they're sad. I think they're fantastic. Um, might have to be prodigal, but that's tough. I, I really enjoy Sound of Muzak. I really enjoy Gravity Eyelids, Blackest Eyes. Strip the Soul, like you said, has kind of risen a lot more. And even the creator has a master tape. It's unsettling, but it's very unique, and I appreciate a lot of things about it. So, Yeah. For any Porcupine Tree fans that are listening as well, I I know, I know because like everyone loves this song and requests it at all of his shows, but Trains is a massive song that like ev- everybody loves that song. Everybody loves that song. Like it's it's one of those things like people shout it at his concerts. Like play trains. You know what I mean? Interesting. And um, so it's a huge song, but we're not overlooking it. Like it's I I have a massive respect for trains. I love the song. I think it's great. Um and uh, and it's honestly it's it it sticks out a little bit to me in terms of the way that it feels uh in comparison to the rest of the rest of the songs in the album. It seems a little bit more um uh, uh, in light or have a little bit more hope to it or not as dark, but maybe a little bit more mel- melancholy kind of like collapse slided into the earth and, um, heart attack and the lay by and stuff like that. Um, right. and, and also Steven's obsession with trains, uh, which is a recurring theme throughout his, his music in the future as, as well as the past, I think, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I'm I'm not overlooking that song. Like if there are any Porcupine Tree fans listening, I'm not overlooking that song. It's still great. And I I'm not saying that I don't like it. It's still good. But Blackest Eyes is still on the top of the list for me when it comes to this record. Which is funny though. But yeah, I know that it was it was interesting as well. I um that you said uh what did you say? What was the last one that you said? Uh, maybe uh, creator has a master tape. Creator has a master tape. Yeah, that one. That one's took a a while for me to grow. That it took a while for it to grow on me. Um, and and honestly, I, I didn't really get back into it until I actually heard it live at one of Steven's shows, and um, and it just it rocked the freaking house. And I was like, holy crap! Yeah, I've never. I don't remember. I, I remember overlooking this song when I listened to it on the record. It was just kind of like I just kind of skipped over it, but. Right. interesting track and it, it's got a lot of high energy i want to i want to throw out one more fun fact before we close this thing out um porcupine tree is uh they're, they're also known for having like deep cut or unreleased tracks during sessions which also honestly have some include some pretty solid tunes so in the in absentia sessions um there were a couple tracks like drown with me and futile can be heard um, any recommendations? A great live recording of Drown With Me can be heard on the 2010 live DVD, live DVD um, called uh, Anesthetize. And um, so if you're interested beyond the album after listening to the album and hearing that and hearing maybe a couple of the unreleased tracks and stuff like that, um, definitely check out that 2010 live DVD. And they have a lot of those on, honestly, I think, like every single album, like they're releasing like EPs of like deep cut stuff and B sides and stuff like that. And, um, you can really get lost in the madness of B sides with porcupine tree. 
Um, and they're, and they're hard to find like a lot of the songs you just start, you'll crank out one of the songs that their live shows and be like, what the heck is this? Um, cause you've never heard it on one of his, like on, on one of the albums, it's like a B side album or a single they released or something like that. So, um, but final question for you, Drew. And, and this is yeah. something that I, I don't think I've, that we've ever asked before, but I want to throw it out there cause I want to see what your answer would be to this. What, what is one thing that you would change? about this record hmm interesting um sometimes i would say they jam too long on stuff okay so that's one thing i would probably take out just a little bit make some of the tracks just a tiny bit shorter i mean i love long songs yeah you know uh i'm, I'm doing a show called prog notes um, wow well, yeah that's busted yeah i like it though no I do, I do enjoy long songs. I really do. But I would say sometimes they're jam sessions because that's what it felt like a little bit listening to some of this record is even though I, I like a lot of these tracks, it seems like they jam for a good bit. And I've just never really been a jam band kind of guy. And I know that's kind of its own genre in and of itself. It's got a whole movement. People love jam bands, all that stuff. Um, you know, I think it's cool to jam for a little bit for sure. I want to get into a groove and I want to, you know, really build something, you know. But uh, I don't know. Uh, every now and then in this album, I'm kind of like, I feel like they could have cut that down and we could have gone back to the chorus there or we mm-hmm. could have gone back to so maybe just Maybe just shortening some of the songs a little bit. Yeah, maybe just a little yeah. bit if I had to change something about okay. it. But I still think that this is a very salient record and that it it deserves, I mean, we we used to ask, we haven't asked recently in a while, why should someone listen to this? But it's a, or it's a good, why should, why should but, someone or someone should not, or, or I guess a little bit more of appropriate question is like, what kind of person, um, should check out this record or should not check out this record? Well, yeah, this is, this is, was, well, this was like the turning point for the, for this group. And this group is an important one to study when studying modern progressive rock. If you have any interest in what progressive rock has become, you know, granted, they're not. This album is crud. What is it? Seventeen years old. Uh, two thousand two. So, yeah, seventeen. Yeah. So it's about you know. So it's not like super modern within the last ten years, but it's still in the twenty first century, which is saying a lot for progressive rock. Um. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to study this because Porcupine Tree is an important band when you're studying that, and this is something that Stephen Wilson considers to be the crowning achievement of the band and had a different direction for them. Uh, the conceptual themes that they introduce uh, with with the serial killing and all of this stuff. He's he's an interesting lyricist as well. So he's this band has a lot to offer in the realm of progressive rock and artistry and all of that. They're they're very creative. They're very artistic, and uh, yeah, you get you get a lot out of this album. Yeah, there's 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 a lot to to delve into. And if and this. if you're and if you're interested in that that harder style progressive uh that harder progressive rock style maybe if you you know want like stuff that you heard off of this record you will certainly i I promise you you'll certainly love the later albums that they did but it's always great to start with this one um because you get to see the progression a little bit so i think if if you're interested in the later you know the post 2002 porcupine tree era this is a great album to start with so um but yeah that's that that's my last thought on this. Did you get anything else, Drew? Well, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, one of our our fans who emailed us. Uh, oh yes, 
because we we appreciate getting uh, emails from you guys. It, it really cheers us up. It's really oh, awesome. Yeah. And um, you know, thanks thanks for not only listening but taking the time to to let us know that you appreciate it and and what you like about what the, the show and everything and uh, your suggestions. So with that, I'll segue into what we we usually do. If you're okay with me segueing, Destin, into the the next episode. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll close this out after that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, we have had some emails, people saying, "Hey, you should do this and this." But uh, shout out to specifically who I was referring to earlier with the fan mail was uh, Jan. I think I'm pronouncing this right. I could be wrong. Jan Luca. Um, he's German. I'm doing my best to have kind of a, a German pronunciation. I could be wrong, and if I am, I apologize. Um, but uh, he was interested in um, covering some uh, some stuff from Germany, uh, a, a movement that was kind of uh, tangentially connected to prog rock, which was called kraut rock, because you know music coming from Germany. And I had actually heard that from some other people who had heard our show, saying, "Okay, do you want to get into some really progressive stuff, some really experimental stuff? This could definitely fit its way into your show." Um, and so next week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do some kraut rock progressive rock slash experimental rock group called can and the album that we will be covering by them is called future days yes future days never heard the record never heard no, this is new, this is totally new for both of us this totally is totally new. out of yeah. left field for both of us so we're oh, excited yeah. we're excited to see what's going to happen with, with that. yeah so super excited awesome all right thanks drew well drew and i Really would like to thank you guys for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes. If you enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. We also appreciate all feedback and your comments. And if you would like to support our show, please visit our Patreon website, www.patreon.com slash prognotes. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We want to continue creating episodes for you. And with your help, we could reach more people. So thank you guys. We will see you all next time.